Secret Friends Unite! Welcome to the Secret Friends Unite podcast. This is your guide to the geek side, and I'm your host, Todd Oxtra, joined by Charlie Carden. Well, hello again. Sunny day here in Michigan. Uh, only 12 degrees. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually kind of warm, but I've spent all day inside uh, doing podcasts. So, whoops, somebody should have kicked me out to play, but I'm an adult and I don't have to. So it's good. Yeah, I took the dog for a walk. It was very exciting. Um, but we have a special guest this week. A new secret friend joins us this week, and that is Christian Spicer, host of DLC Podcast, comedian, and former law partner with Lionel Hutz. Thank you, Christian, for joining us. <laughs> hey, that last part's not true. No, uh, oh, no, Todd, <laughs> come on now. Can what? You- he lied. <laughs> Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. It is actually cloudy here in Los Angeles. So I feel like, uh, I mean, as if the world wasn't already messed up enough, it's, it's sunny where it's not supposed to be and it's cloudy where it's supposed to be. This, this will not stand. Oh no. Upside down, backwards and sideways. Yeah. Yeah, My, my in-laws live in Oceanside, California, down in San Diego area. And, uh, they, uh, usually break out the sweaters when the, when the clouds come out. Yeah, it's called it's cold. That's what clouds stand for. <laughs> clouds stand for cold. I understand. Yes, yes. Well, Christian, thanks for being on. Um, I was a guest on DLC last year, and I think that's what jinxed 2020, to be honest. It was an Way awesome time. And everything went downhill from there. Yeah, no, that is that is true. I don't know um, if you followed it, but yeah, the WHO has done some investigations and um, it is your fault that uh, 2020 is what it was. And I'm hoping that this, uh, you know, me being here will undo the snap, but we'll 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 see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll that, see. That, that would be terrific. So there you go. Th- <laughs> th- thanks for fixing it all. Yeah, it's all going to get worse. I'll be like, no. Yeah, I mean, mutant mutant uh, wasps will be coming down from Washington to say hello. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, before we get started, um, anytime we have a new secret friend join the podcast, we want to hear how what, you know, your geek origin story, how you became the geek you are today. Yeah, um, I mean, it, forever, like born, I guess there are a few like inciting incidents that I could kind of pick from, I guess, um, to lean back on. And and one would be I remember my folks coming home with an NES um, and, and just like that, you know, being supportive. I don't remember us really clamoring for it. So I, I know my both my parents really loved arcade games back in the day. Neither of them really ended up playing the NES much after we got it. But I think it was kind of there like this is the hotness. You know, we loved this stuff when we were younger. Maybe they'll love it, too. And that really took. Um, And then they were just super supportive. So, like, it's the opposite of any real, like, comic book origin story where it's like my parents were nice and supportive. Like, that's. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, driving us to cons um, before a lot of comic book shops had pull bags, you know, driving us around to multiple shops um, to get the comics when they came out. Like, everything was it's like weird, this weird nostalgia for it now, but everything was harder back then. Like, you know, Babbage's or EB games or whatever it was would have like a whiteboard up in the store and it would list release dates. And that's how you'd find, I'd be like, 
Street Fighter's coming out? <laughs> what? Oh, no. Um, and now it's like, you know, 10 years in advance and you can have your pull bag at your shop, at your local comic shop or you can get it digitally. And it's just it's just very different. But my parents were super supportive with that stuff. And then I think the thing that kind of stuck with me or cemented it that like this is going to be a big part of who I am is we moved. Uh, I was born and raised uh, almost exclusively in Houston, Texas, but I spent about five years in the San Francisco Bay Area um, before later as an adult moving out to Southern California. But we moved back from the Bay Area to Houston and I was starting high school. Uh, and I remember thinking like my folks were like trying to ease the transition and they're like, Hey, you know, we know you were saving up for a couple of things. We want to like help out and help you get, you know, the, one of these things that you were saving up for, you know, to help with this move. What, what, uh, you know, what are you looking at? Like what's on your Christmas list or your savings list or whatever. And I remember thinking, okay, this is the perfect time. It's too expensive. I'm never going to get it on my own. And I'm about to start high school, so this will probably be the last video game system I ever get. And I got a Sega Saturn. Um, Ooh, great I, choice. It was, I stand by it. Very expensive, <laughs> but I stand by it. But my thinking really was like, well, here comes high school. Video games are kids' toys. I, I may as well get this last one in now while I can. And then, of course, I got it, played the crap out of Virtua Fighter. My little brother ended up getting a PlayStation. I would wake up early to play Metal Gear and you know, cut to... 80 years later, and here I am, you know, hosting podcasts for Sony and, and hanging out with Jeff every week on DLC. And it's just like that that moment of like me saying, yeah, I'm going to do video games. I feel like kind of sealed the deal for me. It's funny that you mention it. I remember um, back in the day, the only way you knew what movies were going to come out is the trailer. So, yes, yeah. or newspapers. I, I would Starlog. The, you had Starlog. Starlog magazine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or Wizard that, magazine. I mean, oh, Yes. And like it's it's weird. I'm curious what like this generation will be nostalgic for because, you know, I am nostalgic for Blockbuster or that mom and pop movie store and going and like perusing the shelves. Um, I have really fond memories of it. But also in the moment, it was often bad because <laughs> you'd go and you'd be like, ah, oh, time cops checked out. I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> go to the 99 cent section and be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Well, excellent. I love those stories about people. We had one person on my video game podcast. They told us their grandmother was their their gateway into video games. I'm like, that is so cool. But, you know, everybody has a different story and it's great. And um, I'm sorry you didn't have a tragic origin. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it worked out, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. tra- tra- tragic-ish. Tragic-ish, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Supportive parents yes. are the worst. I don't know. They you know. Are, oh, they are. My God. It's horrible. Boring. <laughs> Um, and before we move on, um, you did, I think, what the dream of as many of us are uh, to have as a uh, fan of genre of things. And that is you kickstarted a comic book project. And I think by day two, it was already fully funded. So if you can, uh, first, we want to hear about, you know, the what the comic book is about and then kind of how that came to be. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, comic books, I mean, I've been a fan my whole life. Um, so one, the comic book's called Consequences, and it's on Kickstarter. You can also find a link to it uh, from my website, which is just christianspicer.com. I also have it pinned at the top of my Twitter, which is at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. Um, and I, I've loved comics my whole life. Just huge fan. On the Kickstarter, there's a picture of me in uh, Northern California where I got X-Men number one signed by Jim Lee, 
and a T-shirt that they were selling at the signing, also signed by Jim Lee. There's also a picture of me from like three weeks ago wearing that T-shirt that I still have and have kept for all these years. Um, I remember going to Com- San Diego Comic-Con when I was a little kid, and we got to see the first, I think it was three episodes of Batman the Animated Series before it even had a name. Um, like, I, I I love comic books. They've been so formative for me in terms of media and storytelling and, and the morality, you know, the, the extension of the Greek gods and the myths and the fables and stuff like that. Um, and then I've been fortunate to be writing my entire professional career. First, uh, as an attorney, it's a lot of writing. It's not so much standing up in court or Phoenix Wright and pointing and yelling, objection! It's, it's, a, it's a lot of writing and research. And then uh, I wrote for some TV, um, did some stand-up, and I've always loved comics. And I kind of just been kicking around a couple of things. And then it was probably 2019 I started in earnest working on on this book. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a dream for a long time and a, a dream that I kept putting off. And then 20. 2019 and 2020, I was like, I, I need to do this. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I really believe in this story. And so it is about Cara Diol, who is, um, she would argue is an ex-mercenary. Um, as the book will point out, probably she's not an ex-mercenary, despite how badly she wishes she was. Um, and it's, it's about kind of confronting your past and choosing what you do in your future. I love um, The Last of Us, obviously. I, I love morally gray characters. Um, and I love films like John Wick, Atomic Blonde, moments like the the hallway and stairway fight from Daredevil, The Raid, um, things like that. And I really wanted a, a comic that embodied that stuff, a, a morally ambiguous characters, um, awesome action that kind of revels in it. Um, and while there are incredible comic books out today still that that I think highlight beautiful visuals and great action, I felt as I grew up, I was seeing more and more of that really awesome action sequences on screen and not on the page, whereas little it was like or younger, uh, you know, you'd have multiple panels, a two page splash like devoted to the Hulk and Wolverine fighting or something like that. And I wanted something that celebrated that again, that really highlighted um, the beauty of the action, the way films like John Wick and, and Atomic Blonde do. And so that's what I set out to do. And then I just worked with an incredible team of folks to help bring the script um, to life. It's illustrated by Eduardo Mello, who's worked on Fantasy Flight Games, done stuff for Marvel and DC. Lauren Affey is the colorist. She colored on Spider-Gwen and Five Ghosts, among others. Uh, Taylor Esposito from Ghost Cliff Studios did the lettering. He lettered action comics. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, wow. you, that seems that uh, you know what you're doing. Um, and, and Batgirl, among other things. Um, Lana Bashinsky, who's currently at Riot, formerly from Blizzard, and just an incredible artist. Um, she works in charcoal, did the cover design, the cover art. And then Corey Schmitz, who... I've been a fan of his for years. He's an incredible graphic designer and artist. Um, he did the logo and, and cover design for it. And Corey's worked on, he did the branding and logo for Valorant, um, Control, Ghost of Tsushima, um, Analog, 8-Bit-O, um, you, you name it, he's probably done it. And so to have these people kind of believe in the project, like really um, – 
I mean, it blew me away, you know, to have them come on board and say, yeah, hey, that this is cool. I'm, I will put my name on this. Um, it still, it still feels surreal to me. So I'm super excited for people to read the book. Um, it's a self-contained story, uh, narratively, kind of like the way John Wick one is, but like John Wick one or the Matrix one, there's certainly more story to tell. So I hopefully we get to continue Kara's story, but this first book is 30 pages, and then there's a deluxe edition that um, has the script, pencils, and kind of behind-the-scenes stuff as well. And I've been talking too much because I'm clearly I'm too excited, but that's that's kind of it, man. It's it's a dream come true. Whoa. Uh, that's a, it's, there's a lot, that's, in, there's a lot yeah. in there. Exciting. This is awesome. I, I, I already backed it, so I'm excited. I mean, I don't know if that, do I have to say that at the beginning of the show, like I backed this, so, you know, I'm, I'm behind this, so I, maybe I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know, a little biased. Oh, but no. the, have, have you created a conflict of interest? I might have. I don't know. Is that Nobody okay? cares. Apparently, nope. somebody make a ruling. Well, I'll nope. say this. Thank you. And two, uh, it's done. So, like, yeah, probably conflict of interest, but like, oh. this isn't like the, the basic, basic book is done like the cover still being iterated on and stuff like that and the deluxe all those materials are being worked on and like physical rewards are doing like enamel pins and i have some new stuff that we're going to introduce but like this thing's happening so when it funded which actually i found out live on twitch as i was building a lego late one night uh which was <laughs> surreal to have that on i feel like i was doing one of those like reacts like christian reacts to the justice league trailer but it was <laughs> legit did you have did you have like a spit take where you just need to put something in your mouth and spit it out <laughs> yeah, yeah it was more just like oh what and then i realized that i was reacting live and i was like oh this is this is not how this is supposed to happen <laughs> uh, but yes you are conflicted so no one should listen to anything else you say todd you are uh, biased <laughs> Well, that, that, that's no Charlie's known it since day one, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's no um, well, trouble at all. Well, congratulations. Um, I guess I just have one more question. Um, so in regards to this, are you going through uh, – my wife had a book self-published, and she's also gone through traditional publishers. But how are you managing, like, the printing and orders and shipping and all that fun stuff and maybe potentially getting, getting on store shelves or comic book shops? How does that work? Yeah, so I'm I'm just going to take the money and run um, is Woo! the approach I'm taking. Uh, no, so I it's going to be printed through Print Ninja, who you've probably seen books that they've printed. They're incredible and really opened the door for you know air quote indie comics to exist. Um, most of the works, I would argue, uh, uninformed, I didn't look this up, but many, if not most of the works on Kickstarter that are comics or graphic novels are printed through Print Ninja. They do really, really good work, high quality work. Um, and so it's going to be, I'm doing it myself. It will be, you know, I'll be signing every physical book and getting them out there and then working with um, some talented folks to get the design just right for the deluxe edition and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, going to the post office and getting them out. I would love for this to become something bigger and larger. Um, and I've had some wonderful conversations with um, publishers it felt for me at this moment in terms of what I was trying to do and how far along I was in the process already. Um, Kickstarter was the way to go. Um, and they've been great, just an absolutely wonderful partner to work with. They, they um, you know, the, the platform provides creators so many options and so many wonderful things to do. So it's been a real treat. Um, so that, that's how this book is coming out. But then hopefully, uh, who knows, this book took years so maybe in a few years we can talk about the other book that's coming out a different a different way later <laughs>
Awesome. Well, congratulations. And at the end of the show, obviously want you to be able to tell people once again how they can find you and more details on this project. So awesome. So I'm glad we're starting off this podcast on a good note before it goes wrong when I have some of my bad takes will eventually happen um so with that we we always start the 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 uh, the, the podcast off with uh, a comic book that mirrors the same number as our episode and that is uncanny x-men number 316 uh this is part one of the phallix phalanx covenant e- easy now i know <laughs> it's a mouthful uh i believe this comic actually I, this is my like heyday of the x-men when i was at michigan state go to the comic book shop on wednesdays pick up my books and this was really awesome joe majera was doing the art really fun and this actually laid the way to introduce the comic book Gen X and a lot of these characters that were kind of essentially like New Mutants Part 2 were introduced. Uh, the art style was awesome. Essentially, this is the Phalanx, who was essentially the uh, alien race where Warlock came from. So it came basically this is one of the last traditional X-Men crossovers that was a little more contained before Age of Apocalypse and such. But I love this book and I love the art. It was just fantastic. Banshee and White Queen kind of came to the forefront as big characters out of this so uh i was a big fan so it's 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 really fun to, to to check out i think this had like a chromium cover as well it was that time of, of comic books as well so um i think i own this and it's probably in my stack and uh wow loved it so it was uh chromio o chromio wherefore art thou chromio yes, is that there you yeah. go there you okay, go, there we go. There we go. okay awesome yeah so if you're interested it came out in september 1994 uh it's on uh, marvel unlimited if you want to check out that book and that crossover that was my first month at michigan state todd was a year ahead of me we didn't meet uh until approximately one year later so uh yeah that was that was quite an interesting time in my life but i was uh that was right around the time that i had kind of backed off of comics because my main thing was amazing spider-man and we were just neck deep in the end of the clone where the middle of that clone saga when it was just getting worse and worse and so that was a dark time for me with comics reading so uh glad to hear somebody was enjoying them <laughs> yeah good times oh well i think it's now time for us to transition over to our gal pal our senior news correspondent so without further delay madam webb take it away now it's time for Madam Webb's rumors and news. Take it away, boys. Thank you, Madam Webb. Well, Christian, uh, Madam Webb was telling me when she looked up your uh, website, she thought you looked like a young Henny Youngman. I'll take it. Henny, <laughs> Henny Goodman. Oh how's your uh, How's your violin skills? In, do you incorporate that? Any musical instruments into your routine? No, I wish. I'm I, I'm tone deaf in the worst, all the worst ways. <laughs> All, all the best ways. Todd's tone deaf in all the best ways. Just ask him. Absolutely, yeah. Just, just uh, ask him to sing. Oh, my goodness. Well, first up, uh, and we covered this uh, just, <laughs> just a couple of hours ago on Code 47, our Star Trek podcast, is that we have a new writer announcement for a, uh, I say potential, because everything seems like it's up in the air when it comes to Star Trek films, uh, in uh, writer in Discovery's Kalinda Vasquez. Now, uh, Kalinda was a writer on Discovery in this most recent season, season three, which wrapped up a few months ago. Uh, she wrote the big episode where Michelle Yeoh's character exited for kind of parts unknown. Um, and this is going to be a uh, movie that's going to be produced by J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Company. The J.J. verse, the Kelvin universe, uh, for better uh, lack of a better term, uh, had three movies from 2009 to 2016, which people have a lot of emotions about. 
I have a lot of emotions about him. I'm not really going to talk about him um, because I'm a uh, Christian. Let you know, Star Trek is my life. I mean, I do a weekly podcast about it. Uh, I belong to the International Star Trek Fan Club. I run a chapter here in Michigan. I, I am Star Trek. I just, I just am Star. I, I just, I just am Star Trek. I is Star Trek. I be Star Trek. But Charlie, regardless- Charlie used to videotape. Uh, all of Star Trek, I believe, with Deep Space Nine, then into Voyager, and I had to sit there being quiet while he videotaped them, so I didn't uh, <laughs> editing. Yes, he, he, would, he didn't. He didn't want to distract me. So, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, Todd. Again, we talked about this before. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, Kalinda has a, you know, a great, uh, you know, resume running from Fear the Walking Dead, Once Upon a Time, uh, Nikita, Prison Break, uh, and a project she's doing with George Railroad uh, Martin coming up uh, on uh, Legendary Television. So, uh, very exciting. Uh, and again, this is this is kind of our first uh, woman of color that will be this deeply involved, I think, in a Star Trek project, which. I think takes us into different territory. So I'm very excited. But again, this is one of kind of three or four projects that's being kicked around saying, this will be the next thing. You know, you got the Tarantino thing, which hopefully goes away. Uh, Noah, Noah Hawley's project to keep uh, the Kelton or the Kelton universe going with Chris Pine, which of which I personally have no interest. Uh, and then uh, it seems like there was another one floating around out there, but whatever fresh take, give us something different. I'm fired up for that. Yeah, Christian, uh, what's your take on Star Trek right now? Yeah, I, I've fallen off the most recent stuff just because of the streaming wars are too much for me. Like, you know, uh, I'm down to explore the the far outreaches of space, but when I have to explore 20 different streaming services to keep up with it. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I get it. It pushes me a little too far. Um I'm super fascinated by this new feature film, though, because I think there is a lot of good stuff that's happening on. I guess it's now Paramount Plus. Yes, correct. Just as of this week. Yeah, just rebranded again. Um, And I think that those worlds are really interesting. Um, It kind of blows my mind. And I don't mean this negative as, as a sound, but it kind of blows my mind that Star Trek was kind of relegated to that fledgling streaming servers at the time it seemed kind of like and it's here versus how disney did like you want disney plus because right Marvel cram is. cram cram yeah exactly yeah the, the cbs kind of felt like it was like eh, da, 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 da. so i hope <laughs> a huge right. film takes off and and gives star trek the the light i think it deserves because those stories have been excellent i just don't know if they're getting the audience they deserve right now I can't disagree with you, you know, and again, uh, Star Trek is rapidly approaching, uh, the adage, uh, of, uh, what I, what I ascribe to Star Wars fans of, of which I not only am a big Star Wars fan, but I also do a, do a biweekly Star Wars podcast here on this network, um, is that nobody hates Star Trek like Star Trek fans. You know, you have your dyed in the wool people who just want absolutely nothing to ever change. They want your protagonist to be a white male, blah, blah, blah. It's not quite as bad as Star Wars, but it certainly does have that inkling to it. So uh, forget all those people. Uh, I want to see new stories. I want to see stories that are reflective of Gene Roddenberry's vision, which is the IDIC, the uh, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Give us new, give us different, give us aliens, give us men, give us women, purple, green, brown, chartreuse, what have you. Yes, I remember my favorite chartreuse alien, I believe, was the Zemnox. Yes, the Zemnox of Glondulon 5. Yes, yes. Uh, I... 
I'm curious because I think well, I don't want to repeat myself from what I said on your your podcast earlier, Charlie. Was basically though this is the strongest Star Trek has at least been for a long time. I mean, they have more projects in development in, 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 active. In, the, in their history in their history yeah absolutely yes. and the movies have typically been they fill the gaps when star trek is typically struggling or it doesn't exist in another format um you know at that point i think you said hey i had to read the comic books because the comics books were kind of going on and they filled the gap the movies filled the gap and then we got good trek and then trek got bad so then you know that was JJ verse came in because it filled the gap until something new came out that died on the bind and Star Trek's doing great. So this is the first time we've had really like everything's running on all cylinders. And then to do a movie um, that's not supposed to be part of the Kelvin universe with uh, new voices. I'm really curious what they would do. Cause I just don't see these casts being in a movie that are currently involved, but they could be, but they, there could be their opportunity to, to explore different areas of Star Trek in a way that only a movie can tell. Maybe it's the right, right. format, the right medium. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious where this goes because Star Trek has been a movie franchise in different formats and it's worked in the past. It's failed in the past. Maybe it's going to work again. Right. All, all they can do is try. So I'm totally down. That's awesome. We yes. went camping in Trona Pinnacles here in Southern California not too long ago, which I believe oh. is uh, Star Trek Three. Is it was shot at Trona Pinnacles? Uh, which uh, which, uh, which 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 sequence? Oh, Star Trek Three, the most recent one. No, uh, no, old 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 school old school Star Trek Three. That um, that that happens to be my uh, my favorite film. I. I don't recall which part of that was really shot on location. Which what what is the what is the the setting like? Oh, it's uh, rocky, deserty, rocky crag. I could be getting my uh, okay. films wrong. I know I stepped into it with um, uh, um do some live googling here. That's what that's good. Oh no, yes, please. Isn't it? We, we you know what Todd did it while we were doing our Star Trek Five podcast. So. I do it all the time. Yeah, because uh, I'm not as smart as Google is. Oh, right. Star Trek, Star Trek five. Yeah. With the scenes with Kirk and Yosemite where he's climbing El Capitan. No, I think it's the, de- I think it's the, uh, the, it's uh, the desert. City. Oh, the, oh, the, 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 the beautiful desert with the smoke and holes. Right. Got it. Yes. Which yes. is funny. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, where we also have smoking holes, but they're coming out of the manhole cover. So it's, it's a whole different story <laughs> of al- alligators in the sewers, yes. but yes. I digress. Absolutely. So, anyway, good stuff. Love Star Trek. Nothing. Uh, like I said, I, I eat, eat, sleep and breathe Star Trek. So this is good news to me. Well, we are now going to transition over to the next story, which is all about Blade. Now, Blade, as obviously, uh, I've talked about this in the past, but basically Blade was really the beginning of Marvel's cinema history. Um, if you exclude those horrible like Punisher films with Dolph Lundgren, uh, that weird Captain America movie that was filmed in like Italy. Just some very <laughs> odd stuff. Uh, but Blade was essentially New Line Cinema, that movie coming out, showing that Marvel could make a credible project. Um, lots of iconic moments. You know, obviously, they got three movies in that series, the third being horrible, the second one being Guillermo, uh, Guillermo del Toro directing that, all R-rated. Um, then they had that weird Blade TV series on Spike with Inspector Deck, I think, was the rapper who was in that. Totally unforgettable. As you can tell, I forgot who it was. But um, yeah, so so one of the things that have been out that they did announce that Blade is going to be part of the MCU and it's happening. And it was announced back in 2019 with uh, I'm going to kill his name. And that is uh, Marshall Ali. Yes, he is going to be the lead on that movie. 
And I think a lot of people have forgotten about this. Well, now they're finally talking about this coming uh, to start to produce uh, the movie uh, going into production in filming sometime in 2021. Um, so there's a couple of questions here, obviously. What will be rated? How will it fit in the MCU? Um, and uh, I guess what's everybody's excitement about this? So Christian, um, Blade, what do you think about this? I love Blade. I love, love, love Blade. I, I really like those first three films, even Blade Trinity. It was, I mean, I think that was kind of a, a window into, and I know different producers and, and teams behind them, but a kind of a window into the current MCU. Wasn't it also Ryan Reynolds in Blade? Yes, he was. Um, and it had that comedic approach. You know, it was it was off kilter for Blade, but I think kind of fits better with the current trilogy. I think it'll be PG-13. PG-13 has evolved quite a bit from what it was even back then. They can get a few expletives in, and you're killing monsters. A lot of it could be done, you know, off screen or, um, ex- you know, blood bag explosion kind of things, I think. Um, I don't think they're going to step into our territory unless unless with like Deadpool 3 um, and this they do. But my my gut is a, a hard PG-13. The uh, comics with Blade have never been – I mean, think there might have been one like Marvel Knights or Marvel Max series with Blade being hard R. But beyond that, Blade has always been kind of a PG, PG-13 comic book character too. So I could see where that could go. Um, Charlie, any history with Blade? Um, you know, I, it, it, I was not jumping up and down a huge fan of it. Uh, I, I do appreciate it for uh, the role that it took in propelling Marvel in the – you know, live action entertainment world because it was truly dragging before we got that. I mean, in the nineties we had, you know, David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury. We had the absolutely delightful Fox adaptation of, was it generation X or generation X or with, you know, bumper Robinson and oh, no. Hughes. no, yeah. with Matthew as the villain. And yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, you know, basically by the time we got to when this movie came out, it was 1998, nowhere to go, but up. Um, so I have a lot of respect for that. I don't particularly enjoy the movies. They feel very dated to me, kind of cornball. But again, it set the stage. Uh, so, come, so to come back around with someone who is a truly accomplished actor like Marshawn Ali, as opposed to Wesley Snipes, where I'll be talking about him a little while when I'm uh, informing you on uh, Coming to America 2, um, is, uh, it, it, this project excites me because of the talent being associated with it. So I'm down. I'm definitely yeah. down. And it just announced – I don't know if this was announced earlier, but um, the writer behind this is uh, one of the writers on Watchmen, Stacey Asay-Kafur, uh, and Watchmen was excellent. So the, the actor, hopefully good script, um, you know, this could be great, and this once again puts Marvel in the MCU doing something new and different and maybe it's getting to that horror era of marvel which we haven't really seen beyond maybe where dr strange is going so i think this is going to be really cool and and i tell you one of my favorite scenes in blade is still that nightclub scene with the with the uh you know really pulsing song ah such a great time so i'm glad to see blade come back into uh, relevance come on back all right okay taking this home todd i'm not super familiar with this so okay, i will okay. let's see here oh it's uh, oh it's i thought it said stephen king so i would have a chance it is you, stephen you, king oh it's but it says stephen spielberg well how, i will tell how, you about that and how, I'm can glad there be, how, this. how can there be so many stevens go ahead yes, and the yes. and the duffer brothers oh my yes, goodness take it yes. take it away 
Christian, we, we edit this because, you know, that gem right there is really great. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we'll get into this in five, four, three, two, one. Yes, a uh, new story about a classic. I don't know if it's classic, but it is a older Stephen King book called The Talisman. I remember seeing this book and I always looked interesting. And this is, I think, one of Stephen King's jaunts into really non-horror territory, kind of like um, some of his stuff that we did that was a little bit more fantasy. Uh, and, and because of that, there's been rumblings that this book would get adapted and it never has he did this in conjunction with peter straub who was also another uh big name author of the time i think he's kind of fallen off since then but we're hearing now that um steven spielberg will adapt this for netflix as a series and the duffer brothers stranger things have been tapped to executive produce this um so it's going to be paramount pictures interesting Paramount, Paramount Plus, Netflix, and Amblin Television will be working on this. Um, and Stephen King will also be on board as executive producer. I always wonder about like executive producers like Steven Spielberg's involved and Stephen King is and like, are they just like, here's your check. Thanks you for showing up. See you later. Bye bye. Or are they actually like in there highly involved? I mean, how are you going to argue with any of this talent? You know, uh, the, the Talisman is probably one that it, my wife April is familiar with because she's a huge uh, Stephen King fan. You have Steven Spielberg, who is a GD American treasure. He's like he's I would say he's like Tom Hanks, but he's worked with Tom Hanks. But uh, and then you got the Duffer Brothers and Stranger Things, which I've never met anyone who hasn't enjoyed that. So you roll all this together in a big, you know, big ball of twine and. How could this not be great? So this is this is fantastic. Do we have a do we have a land date based on this? Um, I'm looking. Uh, not really, but uh, considering how talent, uh, how busy these people are, it's probably in the next couple of years or so. But I do want to give the byline, kind of like, or actually the summary of what this is, so at least you know you can be familiar with the actual topic. Uh, published 1984, the Talisman tells the story of a boy who travels in and out of an alternate dimension in an effort to save his mother. He must face twinners. Parallel individuals on flip sides of a universal split living in a world populated by werewolves and gunslingers. And it says, yeah, that story idea should sound vaguely familiar to King fans. So, yeah, it's funny that alternate dimensions, uh, you know, different individuals on a flip side kind of sounds like the upside down. So, hmm, kind of fits all of these individual uh, talent pretty well. So, um, Christian, have you ever heard of this book? Any 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 familiarity with it? Or at least this is product of this property sound cool yeah I'm, I'm i'm aware of it but i have not read it I, I mean i feel like i mean if i had the option the ability to option like stephen king wiped his barbecue sauce mouth on a napkin i would take that napkin and try to turn it into a film or <laughs> you a, bet. a show some he's, some kind of barbecue warrior alternate dimension the mist creatures why not yeah the gunslinger you know give me some right. dark tower in there like there, there, he's had a few misses and in terms of things he wrote and then adaptations of things he wrote. But also Oops. it's like, you know, Shawshank was just a, a novella. And, right. <laughs> and look and at it, that. And, and it's one of the most iconic films that you can think of. Yeah. And then like exactly. The Breath, you know, the green, I mean, not, uh, uh, there might be a Stephen King book called The Breath, probably. Right. But the breadth of his. Stand, or not the stand, the Stand By Me. You know, again, a novella. The Body. body. That was The Body, yeah. 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 So I'm I'm in, and again, it seems like a great great group uh, of people getting together. It's hard to argue with any of it. 
And don't worry, um, it, it's going to be one of a billion things that's going to be on a streaming service. So um, I'm hoping they remind us this is coming because it seems like we get overwhelmed and we lose track and miss out on good things sometimes. But I think the exactly. talent alone with this is going to make it like on the front page of Netflix for quite a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. Dri- dri- driving the bus. All right. Well, that is it for news this week, team. But it's time for us to go celebrate our favorite drinking establishment that's hopefully still open, and that's the Geek Easy. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. We're sitting in the Geek Easy. The cover band is playing with mouth covers, and we are getting our nerd on. Christian, um, are you geeking out about anything this week? Yeah, for me, it's been about anniversaries. I think as I'm getting older and some of these iconic franchises I grew up with are also getting older. Um, and what it's, it is, to, when is it? it? Mario Day is is here. I don't know exactly when this drops, but it's, yeah, March yeah, 10th. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mario just celebrated his 35th. Zelda uh, celebrating its 35th. Pokemon had its 25th. I know that those are just all Nintendo franchises. But I... I love this stuff. I, uh, you know, perhaps because I grew up with it and, and I am of age for it to mean something for me. But the Pokemon 25th celebration and the new games they have coming out are cool. But I love the opening of that kind of uh, presentation that Pokemon Direct they had showing all the awesome things that Pokemon has spawned over the last 25 years from card games to books to feature films to live action films, the TV show that it continues to be excellent. All the games, the little trinkets and odd things that the games introduced, like wireless for the GBA, link cables for the Game Boy, the way they utilize them. Um, and so I really love when, um, you know, the the IPs or brands, it seems weird to be too celebratory of a brand, but, but when brands, IPs, and characters, I think, celebrate their characters and properties in a way that helps you look back at the time you spent with them proudly and with nostalgia, but then also set them up well for the future. So I'm curious, Charlie, is there like a a brand or an IP that like had its birthday or anniversary recently that kind of got you excited or or does Star Trek handle that well in your opinion? Like when big Uh, anniversaries come up, you know, they had a big anniversary in, uh, 2016 50th anniversary this year was was that well in september will be the 55th anniversary but it's like really you know about that but uh, marvel comics did uh for i I think kind of their core brand uh, an 80th anniversary but that was again everybody really blurs 2020 so i believe that was i believe that was 2019 i am a collector was that that timely comics or something weird like that where it's like it's whatever kind of like the flaming torch or or, yeah marvel comics number one back in yeah yeah exactly 1939 so um yeah so that would have been 2019 so i know that the uh the Marvel Legends, which is the action figure series I collected, had a separate branding and a separate offerings for that. But as far as in the comics themselves, I think they did, you know, Marvel Comics number 1001, which was a tribute. Like each page was some obscure, weird character and That's it jumped cool. forward and it created a cohesive story kind of throughout. So, um, but yeah, there hasn't been like an anniversary, unless I'm just drawing an absolute blank. Um, uh, Star Wars, I think, has done a nice job with 
their 40th anniversary. I was actually talking about this on our, our Star Wars show last week on the Holocron Chronicles, uh, that they produced a series of, well, it's a series because it's two and eventually it'll be a third, called From a Certain Point of View. First yes. Of- came out in 2017 uh they just released the empire strikes back one obviously in 2020 i just snagged the audiobook of that and i've been listening to that very enjoyable todd i've talked about this in the past they take weird little vin they make weird little kind of vignettes about uh, what's great examples in the empire strikes back one is they have stories you know the two tauntauns that Luke and Han were riding were mother and daughter, and they spe- you know, and it tells their backstory from their their certain point of view. So yes, I that I enjoyed, you know, and you have a whole story about how uh, uh, Admiral Ozel his thought process is Vader is choking him to death. You know, first he lost his vision, then he lost his hearing, and he's having this odd dreaming about his childhood sweetheart. So it's just weird little definite granular funny one-off little stories so that would be if i was to really think of an anniversary in recent years that i think hit the market did something unique star wars would actually probably be the one yeah i love stuff like that and there's been like character specifics like joker had a really Mm -hmm. cool book for the 80th that had a bunch of small stories from from folks um yeah, I, I love that stuff. I mean, part of me is like, oh, what are what new iconic franchises are being introduced? But um, that's like the other side of that coin, I guess. But I, I, I love it. And I love it when they show that past and then kind of set things up for more fun stories in the future, too. Yeah, I, I think Wonder Woman has her 80th anniversary this year, and DC is going to do, a, once again, a, a big collection of stories. So uh, DC's been pretty good about that, and um, I think, uh, you know, Marvel's characters are getting older as well, so I'm sure, you know, the X-Men, they were they came out in, like, uh, 65, I think was their 60, first year? 60, 63, I think. 63, yeah. yeah, okay, so, yeah, so a lot of the characters are going to have big anniversaries because we are old, and everything we like is old. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of – I mean, it's going to be interesting. I always tell Charlie, like, you know, we, we kind of push upon our kids, you know, things we loved. But it'll be interesting, Christian, you've got two little ones, and I've got a 15-year-old kid. And it's like I'm under, I'm, I'm curious what their things that they'll love a lot that are that came about when they were young versus, you know, the things that we like that I, I hope they like new things, not just us. So uh, it's going to be interesting how that, that forms. Well, I'm already planning TikTok's 50th, so that's going to be uh... – <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's my exact thought. Kids are going to be really fired up about some TikTok or YouTube video or roadblocks or Fortnite or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, dude. Fortnite will do if if it's still around, which I have no reason to think it won't be. I bet Fortnite will do an incredible thing for it. That's a good that is a good pull because they celebrate everything already. And I can't imagine like what they could do for a big anniversary. I bet it'd be epic. <laughs> oh, uh, oh my goodness! Fork knife all the way. Yeah, they'll they'll release the initial Fortnite within Fortnite, Christian. So like that old WoW like uh, classic edition, but you'll yeah. just play the original version that had none of the good features. Oh, Great, my God. absolute <laughs> absolute horror. So, oh yikes. Charlie, uh, you watch something that I hope is good because I'm hearing mixed messages about it. Oh, you know, Todd, my whole life is mixed messages. So okay. you've you've come to the right place. No, uh, we've we've talked about this on the show. We knew it was coming for a while, and it was released on Amazon Prime either Thursday or Friday. Uh, coming to America two. Obviously, there is a long dynasty, uh, particularly in the last few years, of uh, long un unanticipated, undesired sequels. We got uh, we got Top Gun, which we've not seen. 
Um, we got uh, Independence Day two, which was dreadful. Uh, we got the we got a resurgence in Rocky movies. We got a resurgence in Rambo movies. Both pretty much a mess. Mortal Kombat so, is coming back. Yeah. It's yeah, weird. but well, I mean, but is it? I'm talking about something that's a continuation with all oh, these super age, super aged yeah. actors, you know. So in that tradition, Ted. we got yeah, Bill and Ted, which I still have not seen. Um, but in that tradition, we have a sequel to the 1987 80s classic coming to America with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. So at the end of that film, after Eddie Murphy as the young 21 year old Prince of Zamunda. Uh, a tiny African nation, not Wakanda, though Wakanda does get a mention in this sequel uh, in passing. Uh, he, you know, he goes to America, finds the, you know, the love of his life, moves back, marries her, and they start a life. So, thirty years have gone by, and he's they've just they've stayed there. Oddly enough, uh, uh, John Amos, who was the father of, uh, who is the father-in-law of uh, Eddie Murphy's character also stayed there and they do a long bit about how McDowell's has a restaurant in Zamunda right at the beginning. <laughs> and it was, I want to talk about something that was just, just completely unnecessary, but yeah, apparently that was, uh, that was Mr. McDowell's retirement plan is he went to Zamunda and he runs as a 80 year old man runs this one restaurant, but that's a little too granular. Um, so anyway, it turns out, uh, that, uh, no spoilers, Charlie, Charlie cause yeah, I don't get spoiled. Well, I just I'll give you what's from the trailer. Okay. Uh, it looks like King Joffrey Joffer, who is played by uh, James Earl Jones, is uh, in his waning years, and he reveals to. Uh, he, but as it turns out, uh, even though Lisa and uh, Eddie Murphy's character have been married thirty years and they have three daughters, he needs a son to be an heir. So it is revealed by the king to his son that. Uh, that uh, Akeem has a male heir in Queens in America. Oh, so I, I won't, I won't get you right. I won't give you any details. Um, I will tell you that this movie is, uh, had, had some giggly parts about it. Um, it had some extraordinarily cringeworthy parts about it. I will tell you that they worked real hard the way a lot of these unnecessary sequels do to rehash bits from the first film. But we also brought out a, I won't even call it a treasure trove of really washed up musical acts from the eight, 70s, 80s, and 90s, live and as themselves, flown to Zamunda to perform. I don't want, I, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you who they are. I don't want to tell you who they are because it would spoil. But I, it was, it was really, it was trotting out the wor- some of the worst bits from the first film. Now you do get, uh, you get a fun turn, you get some fun turns by Leslie Jones. Uh, by Tracy Morgan, by again, as I had mentioned, Wesley Snipes as a neighboring warlord. Uh, you know, so the, yeah, exactly. Um, but again, a lot of things kind of played for laughs. Um, you get a lot of it's funny when you know Eddie Murphy rehashing uh, the part of the old pastor and is the rainy J- the sexual chocolate. Uh, believe it or not, no makeup was needed. <laughs> Oh boy! Because, Thank because, you. Because, because he is just old enough, so you know what? It's fun. It seems like it's a little long, but again, in this world that we live in, you can turn anything on. You're looking at your phone anyway. You can do other stuff. So it's it's disposable entertainment. It's there's zero risk. So I say go for it. There's, I, there's, 
There's bits and pieces in there to make you smile. I had heard a rumor that he had thought about potentially adding in the clumps to the movie, too. And I'm like, oh, I I hope they didn't, Charlie. I hope they didn't. No, I, I will, I, I will, I will poke a hole in that one. They did not add, they did not add the clumps Good. in. So, um, and secondly, I, uh, I have we watched the second episode of uh, Superman and Lois on the CW. I picked that up. I was out of town in the middle of the week, so when I got back on Friday, I watched, um, watched the, my wife and I watched this. So I've been kind of on a DC Comics kick lately. Uh, so I, I, you know, and I was familiar, obviously, with this iteration of Superman that came from the Supergirl TV show, um, though in kind of a weird place where it's, you know, 15 years later and he has an age and he and Lois have a kid, have have twin sons and they move back to Smallville. So this was a little little more development of that. And you see Lois kind of getting to her roots and reporting and kind of trying to root out some of the wrongdoings of Morgan Edge, who is the, the corporate bad guy villain taking the place of uh, Lionel Luther from Smallville, or at least in my heart spiritually. Um, because this is Smallville, but in some ways it feels like it's a little more relatable Smallville than the Smallville from the show from 20 years ago, which my wife and I are also watching right now, uh, it, which is just kind of cornball and very endemic of a lot of those the Canadian dynasty shows from back in that day. Uh, but it's kind of cool. So this episode you see uh, in the previous episode, you had discovered that um, uh, one of his twin sons has some latent Kryptonian abilities. Uh, so Superman took him to the Fortress of Solitude and they were testing his abilities. And it's just it really was a real allegory to what's just tough about being a teenager anyway, which is absolutely everything. So I thought this episode kind of touched on that. Uh, you saw Superman kind of cross swords again with his uh, quasi Kryptonian rival that, you know, the guy in the big suit. Uh, Todd, you did watch this last week, right? So I'm not kind of punctuating uh, the anything. first episode. Haven't seen episode two yet. Okay, so I won't tell you a heck of a lot more, um, but you know I think we're going to stick with it because I enjoy it. It's not too cornball. It's not super heavy-handed the way I always thought Supergirl or some of the other CW shows were. So, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm in, and again, watching it on the CW app, obviously, is free with a, a, a sprinkling of commercials, which is is not a big deal to me. So I like it. I'll stick with it. It's like the one new show I'm enjoying because, you know, I, I get overwhelmed by too damn much programming. So, um, so yeah, this is fun. I like it. It's like Smallville, the next generation. The ne- exactly. Excellent. Uh, well, very quickly, I'm going to wrap this up with a movie we had talked about, Charlie, and that's called Boss Level. Uh, this arrived on uh, Hulu. Um, I don't know if this initially was supposed to be an actual wide release in the theater initially when this was made. Uh, apparently, it was uh, made in 2019, kind of held back. Um, this movie stars uh, Frank Grillo, um, and I think I- I'd have to look. Uh, Naomi Watts was in this Mel Gibson, Ken Jong, Will Sasso playing surprisingly playing a heavy, which I mean he's from Mad TV. Remember he played uh, what Steven Seagal? He did that Steven Seagal take as well. So interesting. Yeah, he didn't do the Steven Seagal character at least, but I just thought it was a weird choice to have like this heavy, you know, like bad guy along with Mel Gibson. So yeah, it, it essentially is uh, Joe Carnahan directed this. He does a lot of action movies, but I'll give you the premise basically trapped in a time loop that constantly repeats the day of his murder. Former special forces agent Roy Pulver uncovers clues about secret government project that could unlock the mystery behind his untimely death. So this is very similar to that Tom Cruise movie. Was it live, die, repeat or or edge of tomorrow, whatever they ended up calling it in the long run, where basically um, the, the main character, the protagonist 
dies and keeps coming back at the same moment. But he uses that opportunity to um, basically relive and get better about how to survive the day. And the big premise of this is, and I think you've, if you've seen the trailers, but basically all these oddball assassins are trying to kill him. And um, it's just using that premise to move forward. I won't spoil anything, but please. I, yes, I'd, I'd like to watch it because we I, we turned on Hulu today to watch some episodes of Shameless we'd missed. And I was reminded of this. So I'd like to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's enjoyable. Do I think this really would have been a great wide release movie? No, this feels like it's in its right spot as being like an Hulu original. Um, nobody is doing their best to really be to act well. Frank Grillo, is he a star? I don't think he's a star. I think right. he's charismatic, but I think with other actors around, kind of like um, Dave Batista. Dave Batista struggled to be a lead, but he is really good in a cast. So I think that works really well. Uh, this movie just feels like it. If if I if we hadn't had other premises like that, the Groundhog's Day type of thing, this might have felt a little bit more exciting. But I think they did the best with what they had, and I think it was some of it was pretty entertaining. But it's it's a quick, it's a brisk ninety minutes, so uh, they don't really waste their time, which is fun. Uh, it, it's not like you have this plot line that's like, oh my goodness, it's just it's, it can be done. So um, right. check out Boss Level. I think you'll enjoy it. I think it's R-rated because of violence, but um, it's still entertaining. So I think you know, when, Christian, when the kids are in bed. All right. Well, that is it for the Geek Easy. So now. We're heading over to our favorite vacation destination, and that's the Thunderdome. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome! Thank you, Tina. We're sitting in the Thunderdome. The means have been gathered for a topic or game to be entertained. And this week, it is the WandaVision spoiler cast. So, folks, if you have not finished WandaVision, uh, watch it. Then come back and listen to our thoughts on not only the finale, but the series as a whole. And uh, kind of where we're going to see this, uh, the, the characters and the plot lines uh, go to the next level. But with that, uh, Charlie, take us through the finale. Ooh, paint a picture. Paint... Paint, if you will, a picture. Uh, okay, that doesn't work. But anyway, uh, yeah, so we've got, you know, we left off episode eight with Agatha. It was her all along. Uh, in the street, using her uh, cho- her wa- or wisps to have uh, Wanda's children locked up. Vision is nowhere to be seen, although in the cutscene from the previous episode, we saw a physical incarnation of Vision uh, come back online as a white somewhat malevolent looking, although you didn't know for a fact until you find out for sure, uh, going to be going on into uh, the the hex to attack and Wanda squaring off against her, uh, her nemesis. So yes, it is revealed uh, that Wanda in fact has been a witch all along. She was a witch uh, before she was imbued with the powers of the mind stone in uh, Avengers age of Ultron. Um, and so the, the Scarlet Witch is the most powerful, the most dangerous, uh, and everything described in the Darkhold. Uh, so a lot of this episode has to do with, uh, Agatha and, uh, and Wanda slugging it out, uh, talking about how dangerous Wanda is, and then Wanda kind of losing her power as Agatha absorbs it. Uh, and then you also find that as the, the white vision uh, comes online and, and enters it, he finds Wanda and he's like, oh, Wanda, it's you. And he starts, grabs the side of her head and he's going to squish her like a melon because he's a bad guy because his mission is to kill both of them. Um, so, But the real vision catches up. So you get a big vision fight all over the town, 
while uh, you find, as I said, Agatha uh, and Wonder mixing up. So without a doubt, this is your most kind of action centric, uh, typical you know, what you would see in one of the, their films. But as I really uh, found it kind of pointed out by another podcast I listened to, um, in a lot of ways, I feel like the big vision fight didn't really pan out CGI-wise. It looked a little iffy. Uh, but we can talk about that as time goes on. Um, but uh, as as it come to find out that um, while Wanda obviously started uh, the chaos magic that, that made all of this uh, you know, fantasy kind of come to pass uh, that she lost control of it or it was kind of hijacked uh, by Agatha for her own purposes because she wanted to steal Wanda's power and become an even more powerful 500-year-old witch. Um, as always, you know, good prevails uh, and evil is defeated. Agatha is taken down by Wanda's powers. Uh, the hex is brought is set to be brought down, but in order for that to happen... Uh, Wanda has to give up her illusion, which means she has to give up her children and she has to give up the vision because they're not real in this reality. Um, at the conclusion of the vision fight, uh, vision, you know, I would say TV vision, uh, does the captain Kirk in talking a computer to death. Uh, he kind of, uh, uses a logic bomb to, um, win over, New Vision, that's what I started calling when we watched it, New Vision, like the like the eyeglass place, which the wife and I had to chuckle over because she worked in the uh, in the optometry industry for years. So New Vision, that's his name. Uh, basically, and actually was able to uh, impart in, in his existing, you know, restore Old Vision's, New Vision's memory from Old Vision. Uh, and at the end of that, New Vision just took off to parts unknown. We don't know where he went. But Wanda does, in the end, uh, have to restore the lives of, uh, of all of the people of Westview. Uh, she has, she says a tender goodbye to her imaginary children. And then she says a tender, not even necessarily goodbye, but until next time to vision, uh, as the, as the wall comes down. So, uh, in the end of it, she magically walks away scot-free, uh, which <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. Uh, but it really, you know, there, there's a lot of this that kind of sets the table, uh, for what's to come. But at, at the end of the day, she does make the sacrifice, even though the, the evil nature of it, uh, uh, Agatha says, I can fix your spell and you can have this forever and no one will ever stop you and blah, 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 blah. But Wanda makes obviously the hero's choice uh, to give the people their lives back. Uh, at the at the sacrifice of her own happiness, which is what a hero does, uh, certainly in Marvel parlance. So, uh, so at the end of it, she walks away. Uh, there are a couple of post credits stingers that uh, we will discuss here in a moment. But uh, holy cow, edge of our seat, most anticipated entertainment uh, that I think uh, anybody genre wise uh, who is a Marvel nut has experienced in a long time because this was really their first edge of their seat miniseries unless my brain is failing me uh that they've had in a really long time has there been another miniseries? i'm not counting the inhumans <laughs> agents of shield i don't think ever generated that level of excitement maybe no exactly well, maybe exact the netflix series i don't know christian i mean did anything else has anything else been that exciting in marvel tv I think OG Daredevil, yeah. I mean, it it was years ago now, and it's kind of gone back. And the way Netflix does it all now, the conversations right. kind of burn hotter but shorter versus right. Disney True. Plus True. Do, still doing serial. Um, but Daredevil was pretty big. I mean, that hallway fight was oh, yeah. was was huge. Yeah. But in terms of weekly serialized release, yeah, it's it's been a bit. Right. 
Um, so yeah, so I think um, I think without a doubt, uh, I can't say anymore because we're going to have to segue into talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we do have a couple of uh, stringers on here, um, just based on, like for example, you know, the first one uh, that we've got here uh, has to do with Easter eggs. Um, Todd, what was your favorite Easter egg from the show? Oh, <laughs> the, the, the well, it wasn't Easter egg really. It was just a funny aside. It was the when the car was thrown and Agatha was underneath it, and it was her boots. I mean, the, yes, the Wizard of Oz. That was, that was so too. fun. Yeah, that was that that was mine too. So, um, I I do love the <laughs> one of the kind of a giggle, and I thought you know kind of get me out of my nine binary thinking when they were referring to the Scarlet Witch being more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, and then referring to the character as a him, where my brain simply thought, no, but that's uh, she's a girl, she's a woman, but no, she's a, she was a man, uh, even though she, she was man, she was yeah, Tilda Swinton was a man played by a woman played by David Bowie, or, or excuse me, Bob Dylan. Um, so yeah, th- yeah, that that kind of kind of threw me uh, for a loop. So, um, but yeah, I love I love you know the, the all the referrals to, to Spectrum slash Photon, the Monica Rambo character. Um, I love to see her and I, and I also love the stinger that she got as well. So, um, well, Christian, what about you? Did you, did you have a, an Easter egg that jumped out at you as kind of being a favorite? I mean, yeah, the strongest moment has to be, in my opinion, I agree with both of you. It's, it's the, you know, killing a witch by dropping a house on them, uh, in this instance, a car, but having the wrecked house and having the boots. So it's such a nice little smiley moment because so many of the other references and nods, and there are others that go outside of Marvel, but a lot of them are within Marvel or Disney owned properties. And this was just like, no, we're just having fun with something that Disney doesn't own yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yet. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, there was a little hoodoo around the, uh, the credits, Love, uh, you know, Jim Shooter uh, is a very famous name, particularly in the 70s and the 80s. I met the man uh, at our local con back in 2019. Uh, seems like a pretty good guy. Uh, but Jerry Conway and Mike Plug, there were some additions and deletions. Uh, John Byrne, who is a, a guy that I'm a very big fan of, but he's, he, he's kind of a cult figure and apparently not a really nice guy in real life. Uh, they all jockeyed around. Um, so I don't know. I what do you what do you think what do you make of all this Todd is is it politics is it oh who gets push, credits and who doesn't yeah oh, did, did somebody forget to push a button or what happened <sighs> good question I mean yeah I mean that's it's been a struggle because they did take so many elements of comics and things to put this together that maybe it was just too comprehensive I mean although the credits are for WandaVision episodes are like seven minutes long so there's no excuse right. not to include everybody so yeah there is some weird politics at play maybe with Marvel with relationships and things like that but um, yeah I would hope that everybody that had a uh, a path to give these writers some great uh, you know content to base it off got credit but yeah it is kind of one of those odd ones kind of like you know going back to um, you know the the creator of, of Superman Batman uh, Marvel versus you know you know Stan Lee versus Jack Kirby um, Steve Ditko sometimes right. somebody gets the uh, credit and somebody doesn't right it's like john byrne i think it, to me as i scrolled through this is one of the most uh notable he's the one who created the white vision because the vision was was uh, abducted by the government and dis- dismantled uh but it, it didn't turn him evil he wasn't he wasn't a government agent he was taken apart by the government um so I, maybe that's why they kind of jockey that line and then of course maybe because of john byrne's somewhat cantankerous personality they 
weren't really in, <laughs> weren't really in a rush to give him any love. So uh, I don't know. And then finally, uh, you, you know, as we know, uh, Agatha's fate in, in this is that she was permanently uh, brainwashed into not knowing who she was anymore. She was basically converted back into a her character uh, in the the television verse of WandaVision. Um, so the question then becomes, and, and again, they put a little tag on this, a, li- a little red herring, uh, where Agatha says, you're going to need my help. And Wanda just says, well, you know what? I know where to find you if I do and turns her back into suburban housewife. Um, so two questions about that. A, what do you think that really means? And B, uh, it was established that the Evan Peters character, who we thought was Pietro, was really, her quote-unquote, her husband, Ralph. But Ralph that just, Boner. Ralph Boner. Boner. <laughs> I had somebody ask me if that, if that was a dig at Growing Pains because uh, Boner was Kirk Cameron's best friend and, interestingly enough, played by the – the late son of Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek. Um, but yeah, I, uh, so here comes the question, uh, what happened to Ralph? Uh, and are we, you know, if we say Agatha again, when do you think that might be? And what do you think she might do? Don't leave me hanging. Come on guys. I'll let Kristen take that one. Yeah. I mean, if I were in the world, it's a, a fool's errand to leave that loose end. I, I know right. that Wanda has turned over a new leaf and is you know, recommitting to that hero's role, but someone's going to find one of the most powerful witches uh, <laughs> in the universe. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm sure she will come back. Uh, Kim Feige is incredible of having the red string you know, murder board. So I'm right. certain that she will come back in some form or fashion. Um I could see a tie-in to a, a future Guardian-style film or something mm-hmm. like that um, that kind of goes broader. But I think for me, all of these questions that you know we want to uh, ask and, and kind of dive into now, the, Doctor Strange, I think, is going to be the first round of an- answers for any of that stuff. So I'm very curious to see what that and, and Spider-Man do in terms of showing us how interconnected these Disney Plus shows are or are not. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. There's no doubt that, you know, no, no, nothing remains under rug swept uh, when it comes to the MCU. There are always I mean, you know, it turns out that the uh, nerdy lab technician eating a piece of pizza in the Incredible Hulk uh, movie uh, turned out to be later be the teacher uh, in the uh, Spider-Man, you know, Far From Homeverse movies played by Martin Starr, you know, so there's every little, you know, nickel and corner and this and that uh, that they could sneak in they're gonna they're definitely gonna find a way so yeah uh yeah uh, so i think this does bring up you know there's obviously a lot of questions from this so agatha my question would be yeah she doesn't remember who she is but everybody in that town kind of remembers everything kind of remembers the baggage the bad things so i mean is <laughs> where does she go is she a homeless nosy neighbor now i mean how does she find a living? I, I, why do I think of these things? Why do I care what Agatha's going to do in her in her you know her afterlife? Will she become like a a lunch lady at the cafeteria and drive the kids at the school nuts? I don't know. But yeah, to your point, Christian, I think the fact that she is this asset, this this you know uh, thing where we're going to see potentially more mystical uh, elements of the MCU emerge from Doctor Strange, perfect target to get a you know a, a loose cannon involved. So I think that's a, that's a thing um, that we could definitely see. Um, we did find out in the end credits we're going to talk about in a second. But other than that, um, 
do you think that well let's put it this way if if wanda was a villain because many villains have the same type of I would say uh, driving force of why they do what they do. Doctor Freeze or Mister Freeze trying to save his wife, so he's doing all these things because of grief. Um, other villains that want to, you know, Thanos trying to change the world because of the tragedy that fell uh, to his people. Uh, can we call her a hero anymore? Because she did things that other people who are villains did and get branded as villains. I, I don't. Would anybody allow her to become a hero anymore? I mean, it just it just seems like at this instance, grief really excellent uh, ultimately was the big bad it caused her to do what she did um agatha obviously took advantage of that but beyond ultimately it was wanda's action that kind of ruined a lot of people's life for for whatever period of time this was so what's your take on that yeah what uh, yes the short answer is yes right she's too powerful to not if, if she's not a hero then what is she you know like a the MCU version version of the Avengers initiative and kind of their role to some extent, the government, the MCU government kind of viewed all of the Avengers that way. You know, they blamed them for what happened in age of Ultron and they blamed them for all of these other events where there is are, are casualties and, and side effects right to their actions and, and being a hero. Um, they're cast in a slightly different light than what Wanda did here in WandaVision, but Yes, she can be a hero again. She'll be welcomed back with by open with open arms, I think, by the team that recognizes what she has and what she can do. Um, but it is an interesting character study. I, I like, as we talked about at the beginning, I like my heroes kind of wrestling with something and and um, you know even versions of Superman and I think Superman and Lois is great again because how they're presenting that character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see where where she goes from here and, and, and how she deals with it, because I think the bigger question for me isn't what the Avengers or whatever they end up becoming, uh, West Coast Avengers or whatever, um, but it's how she handles it, because no one knows what she did more than she does. Um, so how does she deal with that going forward? Totally. All right. Well, uh, end credits. Um, so, Charlie, we got the two end credits, right? We got the first with Miss um, Monica Rambeau uh, mm-hmm. kind of reconnecting the leftover pieces from Captain Marvel, Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. We know we're getting secret invasion. We don't know right. when it takes place. And uh, basically this, this scroll now identifies her probably as knowing that she has powers and abilities that's going to be interesting to see where that would lay out because at this point we don't know secret invasion when that takes place uh does it take place during the you know from the 90s to today is it something that they've been working on finally comes to fruition um yeah i'm curious to see where where she ends up and obviously her powers weren't exactly explored greatly here so i don't exactly know the extent of her powers although she became essentially kind of invulnerable and transparent Right. Yeah. And yeah, she absorbed uh, she absorbed those bullets and, you know, and sucked the kinetic energy out of them like vibranium and ish or just had, you know, that that kind of uh, power of it, you know, from the stone. So, um, it's you know, but you're right. So in, in, again, with Nick Fury, we learned that he is in space uh, because the entirety of his role and that of uh, uh, Maria Hill and uh, Spider-Man. Uh, Far From Home, which again is the last movie release we've had, which is crazy to think about it that way. Uh, they were both scrolls, uh, and one of them was Bendo Mendo, uh, who was our you know main character from the Captain Marvel movie. So uh, we don't know how long he's been up there. 
uh, we don't know what he's doing up there. Uh, so is she, you know, is it to be that she's going to transition up there and she's going to, you know, tra- is she going to train with Captain Marvel? Is, you know, Brie Larson going to teach her some stuff and they're going to be partners? And so how's that all going to shake out? I just found, uh, as I was scrolling through Facebook, the greatest, like, don't worry, they're all coming back because we're going to see Wanda in the Multiverse of Madness. We're going to see Monica in Captain Marvel 2. Uh, and then we'll see, uh, you know, Wu in Ant-Man 3. Um, so yeah, the, just continuing to put the layers together, but yeah, I'm very excited to see how everything plays out with the scrolls because I've always loved the race and they are, they are about as far back, uh, as you can go in the modern era of Marvel. They're from the fantastic four two, uh, where they, uh, were posing as cows around the country, uh, and the, the fantastic four uncovered, this was one of their first missions. So, um, so yeah, very exciting stuff. So Christian, any any thoughts about uh, where you see Zen credits leading us? Obviously, we didn't talk about the the Wanda end credits, where essentially she's at the when another Avengers cabin in the middle of nowhere, uh, basically utilizing powers and also creating alternate selves. So I, I really don't understand where that is. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I like the way that Wanda's uh, what she would do when all was done is very similar to what Thanos would do when all was said and done. I just want to be in a cabin and be left alone. Like that's all. <laughs> yeah, that's all I ultimately want. Um, for the scrolls, I think it's to me they're a fascinating comic book character. I'm curious, like when you introduce them into a movie verse, um, and I, again I trust the the powers that be at MCU to to pull this off expertly. But like it kind of feels Mission Impossible 2 to me, which is the John Woo Mission Impossible, I believe. I have my Mission Impossibles correct. It's like when everybody yes. can change their face at moment's notice, it's like, was that Fury up on a space sword? Like probably, but we've already seen one Fury not be Fury. So like when someone pulls you into a theater and says, hey, I want someone wants to talk to you. And then that person clearly reveals that they can shapeshift. My first thought wouldn't be like, oh, cool. I am going to go meet. I'd be like, who are you? Who else is shape-shifting? What is it? I can't trust anyone. Like, was that Wanda? You know, like, it, it just, my, if I dive into, like, nitty-gritty, want to be a complete analytical nerd on this stuff, it's like, if anyone can shape-shift, then I have to be suspicious that everyone can shape-shift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you open that door, it, it, it's interesting to me, especially because in the comics, so often, they are um, villains. As you, you mentioned, Charlie, with, like, their long history of the Fantastic Four, and so far in the MCU, if you aren't familiar with their comic role, um, they seem like good guys. So I'm curious if that's going to be a you know a revision or how they kind of lead into like, oh wait, no, Nick Fury being up there wasn't like. Uh, there's a lot. There's so and then they're making an Immortals movie. So like, who knows? <laughs> right. Who knows? Yeah, oh my gosh, big time. Yeah, who knows what the internals will loop everything in together. Maybe that's where it all comes to fruition. Right. I'm guessing not, maybe, but hey, I could be proven wrong. That's yeah. where, that, that's where we're going to put it all there for you. So, okay, well, cool. Well, to wrap it up, let's talk a little bit about rating the series. Uh, and as Pat said, we're going to do a bit of a round robin. Uh, so we'll go, uh, we'll go in the same order. Uh, give us, you know one or two things so that we don't, you know, we're not going on for days about this, uh, about something that you liked. Uh, we'll go around, then we'll cycle back to maybe something you didn't, and then give us a prediction for where Wanda, what's going to happen with Wanda next. What do you think she's going to do when we get to multiverse of madness? So who was first? Was that me? Was that you, Tad? Uh, Christian can go. 
Oh, there you go. All right, roll it. Uh, for me, rating the series, a high note has to just be the performances. This was a, you know, air quote, streaming service, sh- streaming service show that based on actor performances lived up to what we saw in the films. And that's not always the case. And that will always be the high watermark um, for the series for me is how committed everybody was, how it felt like an MCU thing. And I remember the first time I saw the opening sequence after you mentioned, Charlie, we hadn't seen it since. Spider-Man Far From Home. Or right, with, even, it, with with that fanfare. Just, oh, yeah. the chills. Yeah, yeah that, that's my highest high for sure. Good deal. Uh, you know, for me, uh, I would I will go and go ahead and say that the, the episodic nature of it was just one of those, ah, why can't we have it all at once? But then realizing, you know, and Todd and I have talked about this, and Christian, you touched upon it uh, as well, uh, that the, the episodic week-to-week format does, you know, this was a, a nine-week, high-level, anticipatory, what's going to happen? Well, it was eight weeks because we got the first two episodes in one blush. So uh, so there was two solid months of on the edge of your seat, what's going to happen next? Uh, you know, what's what's going on with our characters? What does it all mean? Who's pulling the strings or where's this all going to go? Just anticipation as opposed to like, well, I binged it and in a weekend I watched all nine episodes and then I never thought about it again. I couldn't tell you a damn thing of what happened in almost any of those uh, those Netflix MCU shows because it was so long ago and the emotional investment in it in a lot of ways feels kind of low. So where the emotional investment for me in this, because it was really stretched out over time, I, I felt like the stakes felt very real. Uh, and in the end of it, I think the payoff was very solid. So I, I liked the, um, I liked the emotional investment that they kind of, I won't say forced upon us. They didn't want to vision it into us. Uh, but in the end of it, I think we definitely felt it. So that, that was my favorite thing. It's interesting how Disney is bringing back must-see TV. I think the last time we really had this was Game of Thrones, where it was weekly, and everybody's like, oh my goodness, what's the water cooler talk going to be? Well, there's no water cooler anymore because we can't drink out of it because COVID. Um, So now we have to do it online, and hopefully nobody gets spoiled, but I think that's the exciting part. Every episode you could dissect, you could talk about, you could absorb and watch it multiple times to really uh, give it the attention potentially it deserved. So good good highs there. Uh, For myself... Um, I thought it was awesome that Marvel, in this, they're really their first major TV attempt, um, took a chance. They did something completely different they had done in the film uh, narrative. Um, Kevin Feige, I, I think he gets it that you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and continue to be able to explore different themes. So he has been really smart about picking the best talent to tell things in their voice and with taking sitcoms and utilizing that to tell things and in, in, in kind of starting off one way and then saying this is a show for everybody in different ways um, and it's not just going to be punches per minute or like I said you know the 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 the, the, the jokes that they always uh, push in there with the MCU content we can explore themes of uh, different themes in a 30 minute uh, format, which is hard to do uh, because usually dramas are typically an hour, and they uh, went at their own pace. They decided to uh, use different genres of you know different eras of, of comedy and played with all those tropes. I 
excellently and then put in little bits and pieces that would make people think, oh, they're going to do this or they're going to do that. Oh, you know, maybe this will happen. And it just really created a lot of really exciting moments um, in a not an exciting fashion, like, like sitcoms, you know, it's bewitched, it's it's this and it's that. And a lot of, you know, today's viewers have no touchstone to those old shows. But I think that really played out in just a really compelling way. And I just really thought it was brave of them to do that when people's expectations of the MC is a little different, considering we ended with, you know, uh, Endgame and, and Far From Home, these huge events. And now we can do something at a smaller scale that still has huge impact. So that's my high. All right, and now the the lows, if you can find one, Christian. What's something that you didn't dig on about the show? Yeah, it's it's like saying like, oh, the middle bite of ice cream is the worst. You know, like the beginning's <laughs> delicious, the end. That's delicious. the one that gives you that ice cream headache, Christian. Uh, oh, good. Point. Well, just you're in it, you know. It's like yeah, picking a low of like your favorite. It's like I don't know, this particular piece of cherry pie was not as warm as the rest. Um, for me, the low would be everything outside of the show. Outside of Wanda, outside of like the the sitcom natures, I feel like it, the stakes kind of weren't there for Sword. Um, we talked about Rambo and kind of what it sets up for her and future characters, but like if she didn't come back, what does that change in the narrative? Like she came back to save Wanda and then just gets clonked in the head by Ralph, you know, and like she says one line, "You're not the villain," and, and Wanda's like, "Yes, I am." So, and we never saw a recollection later where Wanda's like, "You know what? Rambo is right. I'm not." Like. All of that stuff, aside from being fun in the moment or Darcy, like she, you know, running the truck in. I, I don't know. It, I felt like it didn't carry as much weight as everything within the world. And I think had that not existed and it was just Wanda and Agatha and Vision, um, the show wouldn't have lost anything for me. So I, I, I love the idea of Sword and I'm a little let down that it maybe wasn't something bigger in the show. It, to me, it felt like the thing they're setting up to be bigger later. But again, it's still ice cream. It It, it is. It's like pizza, you know, which don't get me started on my pizza analogy. But no. uh, <laughs> yes, no, no. But uh, I'm kind of the same way with uh, particularly thinking about uh, Ralph Boner, uh, thinking about Evan Peters character as Quicksilver. That's just a big, a big matzo ball that was kind of left hanging because it's like, who, who was he really? Why did he have powers? Uh, you know, how did he, you know, it was, it was kind of kooky how they brought him in and wrote him out kind of all in the, the well same. But then again, like, yeah, he, uh, had abducted, uh, Monica and then Monica broke out and then there was just poof. She says, nice to meet you, Ralph. And then you don't see him again. So I don't really know why that was necessary. I think, uh, they could have done something a little bit more fun, uh, getting Darcy in the mix, uh, in that final episode, but even like, hey, where's Darcy? You know, oh, she said the meetings are lame or whatever. <laughs> she was just, she was gone. Smell so, you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that you know what? That's that's somewhat endemic of her character. I get that, but I think those two kind of drop offs were kind of like, oh, we ran out of stuff for stuff, and so we're just gonna kind of play it off like this, whatever. But again, yeah, you're right. It's that it's that you know that 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 high two thirds of the ice cream cone. Uh, that's still an ice cream cone, so I, I can't fault it too much. Well, when it drips all over your hand, then your hand is sticky, then ants crawl on it, then they bite you, you have to go to the uh, ER. Come on, wow, guys. This can go hell, dark very quickly. What the, what the hell kind of experience did you have with Oh, Christian knows those fire ants in Texas. They're dangerous. Oh, my goodness. Yikes. 
They are dangerous. We're going to leave you alone on this island. So go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. So my lows, and I, I think we see this with a lot of different things. There's a lot of great buildup. And then to get to that end episode or end thing, it seems like, holy crap, we've got a lot left to do. Um, I think they did a good job of mitigating to a certain point. But to your point, a lot of things kind of got like short shrift. And I understand that because that a lot of a lot of heavy lifting, but pacing, it seems like a lot of shows are struggling with pacing. It just seems like, oh, we're going to do this really cool things. We're going to take our time, take our time, take our time. And when it really matters at the end, pinch a little here, pinch a little there. And it's like, "Mm, okay. And I think part of that, we talked about Darcy thing. I've heard rumblings that there might've been some COVID issues, things like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause this show was actually supposed to come out before the winter soldier, which I thought was interesting. Um, so I think that might've impacted some of the people that could be on the show. Like we didn't see, um, what was their names? Gladys's husband who choked. We never saw him again. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So some of the other characters, I think we were going to get more from them. Maybe we didn't. Um, I think the villain in sword was a little bit, underwhelming at times like he makes that really bad vision joke um kind of felt like out of place it seems like that would be a great 90s marvel type of villain type of person versus you know where we're at now with a lot of these more complex and and more uh interesting villains he just seemed kind of one note kind of that 90s action villain that you know arnold schwarzenegger would tell a you know a funny aside you know to stick around or cool it or yeah yeah. That kind of stuff. I lied, <laughs> Sully. Uh, yes, I lied, Sully. Whoa! So that I mean, that's about the worst I can say, though. I'm really, I'm just really impressed, and it just leads me to think that we're going to get. If this is the first effort they've had with Marvel TV in, in regards with Kevin Feige being behind it, I can't wait to see more. Totally. So. Uh, well, good. To wrap it up, uh, we all know because we've said it 50 times that uh, this is a direct uh, segue to Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. I had to click on this link, and oh my God, it's from Yahoo News. I'm embarrassed by myself. Uh, Todd, did you do that? Is this is this you and Bing? Is Bing coming back to get us? Uh, hey, those but, Bing report, reward points are, are worth the money. I, I I would imagine. But at any rate, I didn't. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't cognizant of the fact that this is. Um, this is almost exactly a year away. This comes out March of next year. Um, but it's funny because the sting that this was the stingers for this were very much set up like particularly that last one, uh, like you would see from one of the films. So you would get a stinger for something that could be, you know, three to six to nine to 12 months away uh, just to give kind of give you a little sizzle of a taste uh, because and just to cover it, obviously, Wanda is sitting there reading the dark, the the the, the dark hole. I want to call it the dark home, the dark hole. Oh my God! What's the name of the book? Dark Hole. Dark Hole. I was called the Dark Home, but that makes no sense. Uh, so she's sitting there reason, reading it, and as she is obviously connecting with it through magic in the multiverse, she hears her son crying out for help. So that if that is a direct lead in, um, and that is you know this is uh, you know this is part of Phase Four, Loki. And uh, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home will also tie in. I mean, we're really teeing it up for, you know, like you said, the the red string murder board of what is this to this to this to this to this. Um, I, I'm absolutely fascinated. Uh, it's no secret that the Doctor Strange uh, movie was kind of kind of a low point for me in the MCU because I it just didn't really do it for me because the magic stuff. Charlie hates magic. I, I feel, but I feel like this has really turned it around for me. Okay. Um, my wife is super engaged. 
uh, in the Scarlet Witch character. My wife, my wife hasn't really tackled a cosplay in a long time, even though we're avid cosplayers. But as far as a new one, she's engaging in doing a Scarlet Witch cosplay. She wants to do a couple versions of it. We even found her a cool uh, Scarlet Witch decal for her car. I mean, she's really fired up about the Scarlet Witch. So that makes me that much more excited because my wife uh, has a background and interest in Wiccan culture and witchcraft and things of that nature. So I, I love to see somebody who's in her case, kind of periphery to all this. She's not in deep as much of uh, as much as as we are. Really get kind of pulled in uh, by something that's in the life. So and, you know, kind of in a family way, that pulls me into being a little bit more excited about uh, this Doctor Strange sequel because it again it appeals to kind of the broader canvas. So I'm really fired up about that, guys. Any additional thoughts about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Or actually, really could be anywhere, right? So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for all we know, it's going to pop up at the end of Ant-Man 3. You know, like, oh, no, you just never know. I I am excited, um, at times tired, but I think WandaVision uh, made me excited again. Like, it it does sometimes feel like a full-time job to really follow all this stuff. Um, But because of of COVID and and how things are and, and... um, we haven't had the theatrical events in a while. I'm, I'm super appreciative of these Disney plus shows being tent poles on their own. And, and I love that. Yeah. And I, I think about the, the end credit with Wanda and hearing the children's voices, uh, the dark hole, they talked about, you know, there's a chapter in that book about you. Um, I'm curious how malevolent that book is. And is it just trying to manipulate her? Would it eventually manipulate her versus getting real training from, someone who's in the mystic arts like an agatha or something like that i I do worry that that might put her once again on that trail of trying to find that happiness or something that's going to lead her down a dark path again um which which i'd hate to see it repeat um i I don't want to see her being the villain again but maybe that's what their plan is we shall see uh once again we don't know where vision is where is he going to pop up next we don't know could be quantum mania uh could be anything like that but you know there's other opportunities so um yeah i mean loki's involved too and he's a magic user so there's so many ways that these things could come together so um it's exciting times for the mcu because we truly don't know versus everything was coming together with the avengers now we don't know well, I'm sure Zack Snyder will come back and crush it all with the nine-hour version of Justice League that will make us forget about all of this. Oh, thank you. That's oh, probably that's just... probably the that's probably the multiverse of madness is the uh, Snyderverse. But yes, exactly. There you go. There you go. There you go. Excellent. Well, that is it for the show. But before we leave, Christian, tell people where they can find you online. Yeah, Twitter is the best way, at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. You can uh, go check out Consequences, the my comic book that is up on Kickstarter right now. Um, if you just go to Kickstarter and search for Consequences comic or my name, Christian Spicer, I also have it linked, <clears throat> excuse me, pinned on Twitter and also on my website, ChristianSpicer.com. Um, I'd love for people to check it out and, you know, hopefully they're as excited about it as I am. I'm super proud of it. And if it's something that tickles your fancy as well, I'd, I'd, I'd love your support because this thing truly would not be possible without everybody um, helping it get out into the world. So it means a lot to me. So well, thank you for being on the show. Uh, yeah. Really enjoyed it. And good luck in all your endeavors. It's my pleasure. I'm just sad that we're no longer secret friends. You keep saying it's a secret and then you keep talking, like saying everybody's name. So I feel like we've all been outed in the worst way. Like, uh, right. 
it, you know, it's kind, it's kind of like Shield uh, having their logo on everything. Not yes, yes. <laughs> not, sword. Yeah. Not yeah. too, not too smart. Well, friends, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are the uh, the vanguard of the Secret Friends Unite uh, Facebook group and podcasting network, composing of uh, obviously the show that you're listening to right now, Secret Friends Unite. Mm-hmm. Now six and a half years strong running. Uh, the co-op mode, Todd and Mark the Canardian talking about video games. Code 47 is myself and Alex Terry talking about Star Trek. And the Canardian and I team up bi-weekly to talk about Star Wars on the Holocron Chronicles. Todd uh, is our producer, and he does streamline uh, audio versions of all of our shows uh, over on YouTube. And we're, of course, available on all podcasting services that you love. Uh, Like, subscribe, leave us a review, and get a... Uh, fabulous prize from our digital prize closet. Uh, we're over on Twitter at Secret Friends U. That would be the letter U. Hit us up. Let us know something you're enjoying, uh, an idea for the show, a comment, etc., and we will talk about it uh, on the program. We've also got a great store over on T Public. Uh, your favorite Secret Friends Unite show designs uh, that you can get on a shirt, a hoodie. Uh, a wall covering, a you know notebook, what have you, all kinds of fun stuff. Proceeds from that do benefit a charity here in Michigan uh, that my wife and I support called the League of Enchantment, which does outreach work for uh, kids' hospital visits and things of that nature. Uh, and that's about the size of it. Thanks one more time. I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring and to keep on trucking. Be the hero, not the villain. In a truck.
You don't. 